I just want to start off by uh, publicly thanking Pastor Ken and his lovely bride, Allison. I want to thank you for the friendship and the fellowship you've afforded my wife and I. They've been taking good care of us, and I, I deeply appreciate it, and thank you for your obedience to the Lord, and I, and I do pray, brother, that God's going to expand your territory and extend your stakes in Ireland, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't know if this is the day or not, I just know that a lot of planning a lot of preparation, a lot of prayer was put into this time. There are brothers and sisters that believe we have a window of opportunity here to obey our Lord and do what is needed and necessary for the salvation of Ireland. The twofold vision of coming here was that God would send a heaven sent revival that would empower his church to rise up and to vanquish this grave evil that will savage your children and this nation. And so I thought it fitting and proper that we might want to touch on this topic of revival. Everybody say revival. revival. Now I'm not talking about the American version of revival where it's Camp Meeting USA. How many know you can't schedule a revival? You can't. Man cannot artificially produce this. It is something that must come from heaven and must fall upon us in the earth. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 85. And would you please stand with me as we honor the word of the Lord. This is Psalm 85. We're going to look at verse 4. Restore us, O God, of our salvation and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord. And grant us your salvation. Please be seated, church. Again, I'm coming from the perspective of the battles that I have fought in the United States of America. One of the things that I've tried to convince the church over there that with each little image bearer of Christ, when they are torn apart in their mother's womb, when they are put to death, a part of our nation dies with them. And you really have to understand that, brothers and sisters. Our plight is directly connected to the plight of these precious children. Make no mistake about it. You know, I was thinking, like, when we say the word revival, it's almost like we're expecting a joyous time. You know, times of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. And that surely is an after effect that happens. But when we're talking about revival, it's an understanding that something, someone is dying like when somebody's critically ill or, or somebody's critically injured, you know, the ambulance comes. I don't know what it's like here in Ireland, but they come and, you know, they got the, this instrumentation, you know. He's flatlining. He's flatlining. Boom! 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 
And why are they doing that? He's dying. He needs to be resuscitated. He needs to be revived. And that is the kind of revival that we are talking about. All the songs we talked about was the sufferings that lead to glory, death that leads to life. And thanks be to God, he came that we might have life and life more abundantly. But we must also understand there is an evil one and he has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. And a lot of time, brothers and sisters, we say that, but do we connect the dots in our generation? How is this enemy killing? How is he stealing? How is he destroying? And he's doing it under our watch. Amen? Now, I want you to notice an emphasis here is he's asking the question, will you be angry with us forever? How many of you here prize the mercies, the tender mercies of the Lord? How many of you prize his loving kindness toward us? How many of you prize his long suffering and his patience with us? I don't know about you. I would be an ink spot in some pavement in America if it wasn't for his mercy, his patience, his long suffering with me. He should have discarded me and thrown me away a long time ago. But he stuck with me. I may have walked away from him, but he never let me go. And thanks be to God. But brothers and sisters, we need the whole counsel of God. We need to understand the fullness of his virtues, his attributes, his characteristics. And I know we can't build big churches based upon the anger of the Lord. I get it. But we do understand We must understand there are at times, there are certain situations, there are certain things that are done that it angers him. It angers him. And as God's people, we got to be sensitive to that. Amen? And one of the things that the Bible tells us clearly that angers him is when we sacrifice our sons and daughters to demons when we pollute and defile the land with their blood. Understand, abortion is child sacrifice. It's the shedding of innocent blood and it feeds the demonic realm. I had this conversation with Glenn and he says, I see the outworking of that in our youth. Their hair, their tattoos, the, the nose rings, the, it just smacks of paganism. This is what's unleashed when we allow this abomination to be set up. This angers the Lord. And what does the anger of the Lord look like? Those that hate you will rule over you. Do you have many friends in the current government that has been set up? You know they don't. They have legalized abortion. They have legalized sodomy. And to protect those evils, they are now criminalizing Christianity. Will you not revive us? Oh, God. Do you see the situation? Do you understand what we are up against in these days? And so this cry for revival, again, is not so we can get goosebumps. It's not so, you know, the joy of the Lord will bubble up and praise be to God. I thank God when that happens. But this is about reviving his people. 
Amen? And reviving your children and reviving your future. I just want to go through a little bit of some of my experiences with revival. And I pray it's an encouragement to you. I got blasted out of the mountain. When the Lord saved me, it literally was like an Apostle Paul experience. It was radical. And I was going to share it last night, but the Lord had different direction for me to go. But it was a miraculous time. See, I've, when I got birthed into the kingdom, all this miraculous stuff happened, and I just thought, well, this is normal Christianity. And I found out, no, it wasn't. It was a special visitation of the Lord. And when I said, when I say to you, I was led by the Holy Spirit, unbelievable. Like I would go to bed at night, and this happened for several years. I would literally go to bed at night, and the Lord would show me the next day where I was going, who I was going to meet, the topic of conversation, and how I was supposed to answer it, and then he showed me the fruit of all that. And it would literally happen. I had the gift of faith. My knower knew. I knew if I said something, I knew if I prayed something, it was going to happen exactly as I spoke and I prayed. It was an incredible realm. They call it the charismatic renewal. And it had a great impact upon the American church. But for some reason, it didn't translate to change our culture, our law, or our government. It was almost like it was self-absorbed by the church. But if you look at revivals in times past, yes, it starts with the refreshing, times of refreshing that come upon God's people. But it always translated into the change of the culture, of government, of law. I I was knocked out before I got here. I don't know if I got the COVID or what. I don't know. I I was pretty knocked out. So I, I, I was just watching documentaries about revival preparing to come here. And I even looked at the Ulster revival. You know, you, know, you know what happened during that? Yeah, God drew thousands and thousands to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know what also happened? They had to find other ways for the police to serve because nobody was committing crime. Hello? Taverns were shut down, not because, you know, prohibition. No, it was because people were drinking from a different well. Amen? They're not drunk as you suppose. Oh, they're drunk, all right, but not as you suppose. Amen? There was one testimony where a criminal in a court trial got saved during the court trial. And then the jury just started praising and worshiping God. I mean, they had revival in the courtroom. These were the kinds of manifestations that take place when God is truly pouring out his Holy Spirit. And it's so needful today. In America, when God poured out his Holy Spirit, we were in the midst of three revolutions. There was the drug revolution, turn on and turn off. There was the sexual revolution. If you're not with the one you love, love the one you're with. And then we had the spiritual revolution where Eastern mysticism invaded the United States of America and we had millions and millions and millions of people going into the spiritual realm without Christ And true to God's promise, when the enemy comes in like a flood, what? The Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard against him. God kept his word. He kept 
his promise. But again, the church in America self-absorbed it. Yes, we were refreshed. We experienced the power and presence of God, but somehow it did little to defeat those revolutions that were savaging our nation. And God forbid that happened here. Amen. My second, excuse me, my second brush revival came with Operation Rescue. It was called the Summer of Mercy, 1991. Supposed to be a week-long event. It lasted for two and a half months. And the government kept drawing lines. And every time the church crossed that line of obedience, the miraculous realm increased. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I don't have time to go through it. But I am telling you, we had Old Testament and New Testament caliber miracles. I'm talking honest to goodness miracles. Powerful. And the media knew it. The police knew it. The pro knew it. The sodomites knew it that God had come to Wichita, Kansas. He recorded his name, and he bid his people come, and they came by the thousands. Just a quick testimony. When this event was called for, I was facing two years in jail for leading eight rescues. I don't have time to go through it, but it was powerful. You know how the Bible says, when you go before the courts and the magistrates, Don't be concerned about what you're going to say because the spirit of your father is going to speak through you. That literally happens, brothers and sisters, today. And I, boy, I had my defense. I had written it out. I knew exactly what I was going to say to the judge and everybody there. And when I stood up, the presence of God fell on me and fell in that courtroom. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there was things coming out of my mouth I did not intellectually know. I threw the notes away and I spoke from my heart. And the power of God hit that courtroom so strong, there were people going, they were trying to suppress the power of God. The bailiffs, you know, former police officers, you know, did the beat. Tears are streaming down their faces. These are hardcore guys. Tears were streaming. The stenographer, she's shaking. She can't even keep the notes. And the judge's eyeballs got really, really big. I don't remember everything I said, but I know how I concluded the matter. I said, judge, I know I am in the perfect will of my God. And he's going to do one or two things to you this day. He's going to harden your heart and you're going to hammer me. And I'm going to jail for two years. Or he's going to soften your heart and you're going to let me go. But be it known unto you, all of us will stand before a holy God. And what you call legal is unlawful in the eyes of God. And you will give an account before his throne. God bless you, judge. (laughs) He gave me two years probation. I wasn't supposed to leave the state, nor was I allowed to do another rescue. Because if I do that, you're going to jail for two years. So imagine my first wife's shock when I find out about this event, and I believe the Spirit of God comes to me and says, Go, doubting nothing. And so I have this particular look when I believe the Lord's dealing with me, and that look scares the daylights out of my wife and children. Dad's got the look again, which means put your seatbelt on because we're going to be in quite a ride. And so I turned to my wife. I said, honey, I know it sounds crazy. I know I'm risking two years in jail, but I believe the Lord is sending me to Wichita. Well, here's my problem. I got a report to my probation officer. And I'm literally going back and forth. I'm leaving the state. I'm doing rescues. And I got to go back and forth to report to my probation officer. The first one 
How many has ever heard of Rush Limbaugh? You ever hear of him? Some of you, maybe not here. Okay. Well, he used to call the feminist, uh, well, my Nazi feminist? Feminazi. Yeah, feminazi. Well, my first pro-abort, I mean, my first parole officer, she was a feminazi. So when I walked in, I didn't have to say anything, just who I am, the spirit of God in me, what I'm doing, I mean, the nails just grew. <laughs> the fangs came off. <laughs> right? And uh, so it's on, right? It's on. And I told her at the end of that meeting, I said, lady, you might want to consider another line of work because I don't think you have what it takes to do this job. (laughs) Well, she didn't appreciate that either. So the next time I came back, she wasn't there. I don't know if she took my advice or they just reassigned me. So here's the deal. I'm going back and forth, and this next probation officer, she's a nominal Christian. She's, she's a Methodist, but I think she, she's a Christian in name only, like she really doesn't know the Lord. She's just going through the religion of it. And so I had, I had been fasting and praying, and, and, and my approach here was if you ask me no questions, I won't tell you no lies. In other words, if they asked me, did you break, you know, the agreement here, I would have told them, yes, I have. I've gone out of state, and yes, I did rescue, okay? But they never asked me, so I'm not going to surrender it, okay? And so here I had been fasting and praying. I went into her office, and she was different. She didn't have this animosity towards me, and she was actually a little friendly. And so to be a gentleman, we were walking to her office. I opened the door, and I just placed my hand on her shoulder just to be a gentleman. Now, listen, I had no idea of what happened in that moment. God hid it from me. Okay, remember he told me to go doubt nothing? And so she sits down, and, you know, we're going through the thing, and and I, I started ministering the gospel to her. I talked to her about rescue and, and all these different things. And I invited her to the church that I was co-pastoring. I said, please, when you have some time, come visit our church. So we're doing this back and forth. And then I go back to Wichita. And not the local police, the feds bust me. It was very serious. I remember where the federal marshal came up to me and he had a subpoena for me specifically and he literally shoved it into my chest. Boom! He says, when you're arrested, they're putting you away and the judge, when he feels like it, will get to you. I said, does that mean I don't have a right to a speedy trial? (laughs) He says, you take that out any way you want it, but that's the way it's going to be. And so they finally did arrest me and they threw me in jail in solitary confinement. There's another story how precious God was there. But let's suffice. We led a lot of prisoners and a lot of prison guards to the Lord. You have not lived until you have been in a jail with 300 Christian men singing Amazing Grace. Holy, holy, holy. It reverberated. We led, I led four prison guards to the Lord. Imagine 300 men around a prison guard laying hands on him and leading him to Christ. These are the kinds of things that were happening. Well, unbeknownst to me, that probation officer who I invited to church, guess what Sunday she decides to come? Brothers and sisters, We have an announcement. Pastor Rusty, he's been arrested. He's in Kansas. And the probation officer, I mean, she's in the audience. She didn't turn me in. You know what? You want to know why she didn't turn me in? Because 
unbeknownst to me, when I laid my hand on her shoulder, the healing virtue of God flooded her body. She was one week away from a permanent wheelchair. And the power of God hit her and completely healed her. These were the kinds of things that were happening. When I say, I can tell you, we could be here for days. Volumes could be written of what happens when you're in the revival realm. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, there's a realm in God. When you obey him and you cross the line of obedience, it doesn't make a difference if people hate you, whether they love you, whether they're for you or against you. It doesn't matter. There is a realm that even your mistakes are perfect. Everything, everything that happens is furthering the cause of Christ and his kingdom in the earth. There is that realm, and that is the realm of revival. Can I get an amen? All right. I'm from America. Every now and then they go, amen, brother. My next brush revival, we call it the Louisville Baptist, or, yeah, baptism revival. This is where my son, Jeremiah, how, how many's ever heard the story of my son, Jeremiah Thomas? Some of you, maybe. Anyway, well, that's another, I won't go into that, but. So here's the situation there. We're, we're doing our ministry in Louisville, Kentucky, and there's a young man who recently got saved, and he asked me, if I would baptize him. And so we're at a church. They got a baptism pool. And, uh, and so I said, sure, absolutely. It'd be my honor to do that. And so I literally stepped into the pool. I'd baptize him. And I didn't leave that pool until three hours later. Somebody showed up. Now picture this. This is a packed church Nobody had extra clothes. Nobody had towels. God showed up, and they knew he was at that pool. When I say they came a-running, they came a-running. Young people, old people, families. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God was so strong. It was so powerful that people got saved, prodigals that maybe had been in the, the home, but their hearts were far from the Lord and from their parents. God brought them home to himself, restored the family. Marriages that were on the brink, they went in that pool together, and God repaired the relationship. And understand this, we're not preaching on this, we're not praying about it. God showed up. And how many know that's a whole different realm? That's a whole different realm, brothers and sisters, and it's awesome. It's awesome. Just the spirit of God at work in people's lives. And then, brothers and sisters, you have your Bibles. I want you to turn to John chapter 7. A very familiar passage of Scripture But this passage of scripture had a lot to do with a revival in South Africa. There's a revival that hit about 40 years ago, and it's still bearing fruit. And I had the privilege to go over there and actually minister in the pulpit that was partly responsible for furthering this revival. And believe me, One of the words for glory is kabod. Everybody say kabod. That glory means the weight of God. The glory of God is a weighty matter. We know biblically that when the cloud showed up, that Shekinah glory, what happened to the ministers? They couldn't stand. They couldn't move. Why? 
because God showed up. This literally happened at a drug rehab. This is the only time in my life that I've ever experienced the Shekinah glory. This literally happened, brothers and sisters. I saw it with my own eyes. These are a bunch of drug addicts. And we had this opportunity to minister to them because they, they went through this program. So every program, we were allowed to get the gospel to them. And my, my wife and I, she would sing songs. We would do skits, and I would preach. And I just felt this one night to put this song on the testimony. It's a beautiful song. It's a powerful song. And it's about this Christian musician that he was in that state. He was bound by drugs and how the Lord came and set him free. And it's just a beautiful, powerful song. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to play this song, right? Because it's, it's part of my testimony as well. And so I put the song on and I got my head bowed. And then again, I just hear this brokenness, this, this sobbing, just break out. And I looked up, and this is the gospel truth. It started in the back, and I literally saw a cloud move slowly over every, like, pew, it wasn't a pew, but it was a line of chairs. And whenever that cloud hit, they, could, they couldn't contain it. They couldn't stop it. Like God gave his own altar call. And, man, they were just birthed into his kingdom, added to his church. And, again, I didn't have to preach about it. I didn't have to pray about it. God did it. And it's powerful. It's awesome to behold. And I know it's rare, but it does happen, brothers and sisters. It is available to God's people. How hungry are you? How thirsty are you? Amen? And that ties into this passage of Scripture. Chapter 37, John, chapter 7. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood, cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart or out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. This passage of scripture was the passage of scripture that God used to birth a revival in South Africa. Real quickly, brothers and sisters, how are we doing on time, brother? We're good? Okay. So, there's a young man, he's a German Lutheran, He's over in South Africa. There's great racial hatred and divide, sort of like what you guys have dealt here in Ireland, the religious sectarian spirit that in the name of the Lord, we kill each other, okay? So brothers and sisters, this is a German reformed. He's white, very intelligent, engineer kind of guy. Behold, one day, he becomes born again. He becomes saved. And the first thing that God put in his heart is a love for the Swahilis, the Zulus. That's taboo. You don't go there. You don't mingle with them. But God put his love in his heart towards these people. And in obedience, he went. It was very controversial it did cause a disturbance in the force. Believe me when I tell you. And he set up tents. He set up tents. And he began to minister to them the gospel of the kingdom. And God was moving. He was saving people. And so this brother knew that he was in obedience to the Lord. Well, one meeting in a tent. He's preaching the gospel and in South Africa, even strangers, they, they name you by, like, family. Like, if you're an elderly woman, they're going to call you mama, uh, uncle. They, they, like we would say brother and sister, they, they get even more intimate. 
Okay, that's just how they talk. And so this elderly lady stands up and she, and she basically says, this Jesus, this Jesus that you're talking about, can this Jesus help my daughter? Can this Jesus you're preaching about, can he help my daughter? And a pastor assured her, yes, this Jesus will help your daughter. And she said, well, would you come with me? Would you come with me right now? And he, and he, you know, he felt the urgency of this, this mother. And he said, yes, mom, I'll come with you right now. And when I tell you this pastor was not prepared for what's going to happen, he is not prepared. But he's put the name of the Lord on the line in front of the Zulus, in front of these tribes, in front of the voodoo doctors. He is telling them that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's nothing impossible for God. So he follows this mother. She leads him to a hut. And inside the hut, he finds the biblical version of the madman of Gadara. This young daughter literally wound with wire on a pole and she's bleeding because the demons are manifesting. This young lady had terrorized, terrorized the entire tribe, the entire clan. And they had to wrap her up in wire to restrain her, to protect the village. And so here's this pastor who put the name of the Lord on the line, comes in and says, oh my goodness, I'm way over my head. But he tried, brothers and sisters. He tried. And so he does the wire. He has men restrain her, ties her up with ropes, picks her up, and carries her. This is amazing, too. He carries her to her parents' house, to his parents' house, put her in a room, and within two hours, that room was destroyed, was absolutely destroyed by the demons afflicting this young lady. For three weeks, he fasted, he prayed, he took these demons on, so wanting the Lord to deliver her. And after three weeks, he failed, and he couldn't take it anymore. And so with great remorse and shame, literally, he brought the daughter back to the tribe and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It broke him. He was a broken minister of the gospel because he promised them in the name of the Lord, my God is able to deliver. And he failed. It it crushed him to the point he was considered leaving the ministry. But he didn't do that, but he said, okay, But I tell you what, God, please never, ever send me to the Swahilis. Don't ever send me to the Zulu tribes. I can't bear it, Lord. I I have failed you. I failed that girl. I, I failed. Please don't do this to me. He was just a broken man. He wanted so much for God to move. And it didn't happen. And so... He's struggling. He's seeking the Lord, and he's like, God, what do I do? And so what he decided to do was just to get some of his closest staff, you know, the closest people that were working with him, and he found, like, this barn out in the middle of nowhere. And he said, well, first he turned to this passage of Scripture. He turned to this passage of Scripture, right? And what does it say? It says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or belly will flow rivers of living water. And so he asked this question to his brothers and sisters. He goes, is that happening in you? 
are you experiencing this? He says, because I got to tell you, it's not happening in me. And I know God is not the problem. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? And so what he decided to do was start in the book of Acts, chapter 1, go through the entire book, and he says, whatever the Bible says in the book of Acts, that's exactly what we're going to do. And so they started. Do you remember the calling of John the Baptist? Where was he when he started his ministry? Where did God place him? In the wilderness. Now, you do understand they didn't have email back then. They didn't have a phone. I'm sure John the Baptist didn't put up posters, you know, in Jerusalem. Hey, guys, if you want to come to revival meetings, I'll be out here in the wilderness. See you then. How many know none of that was happening? How, how did they get there? Why did they go there? Because God was pouring out his Holy Spirit. And he was drawing them to John. Why? Because John had the goods. He had the heavenly goods. And so the same thing happens to this former German Lutheran guy, engineer guy, logic, reason, who knows that the rivers of living water are not flowing out of him, and he knows it should be. And so they start in the book of Acts, and then they walk out the door, and they're coming by the ones, and they're coming by the twos, and they're coming by the fives, and they're coming by the tens, they're coming by the fifties, they're coming by the hundreds, and literally thousands upon thousands of people came to that barn. There's a movie called Field of Dreams. You ever see that movie? Maybe not. But the, 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 the principle was this, build it and they will come. That's not how God did it in South Africa. They came and they had to build. And the Holy Spirit shows up. He's birthing people into the kingdom. He's adding the church miraculous healings. Demons are being driven out. People are being set free. The voodoo doctor who was the authority, they themselves are repenting, coming to Christ and Thousands and thousands and thousands of souls got touched by this revival. And 40 years later, I'm in that same pulpit that they built because of this. And guess what? Every single night, hundreds and hundreds of people from around the world go to that place. And what God has done through that ministry is incredible. So that's South Africa. All right, I want to conclude, brothers and sisters, with this passage from the book of Joel. Go to Joel chapter 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, As you look upon and honestly assess your nation, like when you look upon the condition of our families, when you look upon the condition of the church, when you look upon the condition of your laws and government, what do you see? How do you assess this? And then I want to extrapolate from there, where do you see this going? How many of you have children? How many of you have grandchildren? Now, I want to tell you something. When God first birthed me into this battle, it was out of love for neighbor. 
because I saw the plight of these children. God opened my, my eyes and he broke my heart. But what sustained me in this battle is my love for God. And another aspect of what, because I wanted to get, <laughs> I wanted to give up so many times because we got so beat up and pummeled by fighting this battle, but God wouldn't let me. And one of the reasons why he wouldn't let me, I have 13 children. I got two more grandchildren coming. That gives me 18. In fact, one day, God permitting, I want to have my family reunion in a stadium. <laughs> We're going to win this war one way or another. I'm just telling you right now. But see, the pressing issue upon me, and I pray comes upon you, what kind of nation are you going to bequeath your children if God does not revive us and we obey him in this battle? That's something, brothers and sisters, you have to wrestle with because a lot is hanging in the balance here, brothers and sisters. And so in Joel chapter 2, we'll start in verse 12. It says this. Now, everybody say now. I guess today's the day of our salvation. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Now, I don't know about you. When I got saved, he turned my weeping and mourning into dancing. But understand, brothers and sisters, when you're dealing with a national evil, a national abomination that's going to bring calamity upon us all, how many know we have to turn, uh, we have to turn from the dancing to the mourning and the weeping? There's a time for everything under the sun, brothers and sisters, and we need to know what time it is. Amen? He says... So rend your heart and not your garments. In a situation like this, brothers and sisters, religious and political gangs, it's not going to get the job done. It's not. Let's not just go through religious ceremonies and religious motions. When the church of Jesus Christ swings, this ain't shadow boxing. When we swing, we hit something. And we hit it hard. Why? Because there are demonic strongholds being set up and it has evil intent for you, your children, and your future. So just don't go through religious motions. Rend your heart. He goes on to say, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. How many are so grateful for that? So grateful for that, amen? But he says, return. And the Bible promises, if we return to him, what will he do? He'll return to us. If you draw near to him, what is he going to do? He's going to draw near to us. Brothers and sisters, we need him. We can't win this battle in the arm of the flesh. You know, the apostle Paul said when he came, he said, I didn't come amongst you preaching words of men's wisdom. I didn't entice you with words of men's wisdom. When I came to you, I preached the gospel in the power, in the manifestation, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. We need him, brothers and sisters. Father's on his throne. Jesus is at his right hand, waiting, expense 
henceforth expecting his enemies to be his footstool. Of the triune God, who is with us? Who lives inside of us? Who is to lead us? Who is to teach us? Who is to anoint us? Who is to grant us the unction? Who is to came to show us things to come? Who is that person? See, a lot of people, they don't mind talking about the Father or speak of the excellencies of Christ, but we get pretty nervous when we're dealing with the very one whom God sent to be our comforter, our paraclete, the one who came aside alongside to help us. Brothers and sisters, we need him. We need him. Get to know him. Some people even feel funny talking to him. And it's a him. It's not an energy. It's not a force field. He is he. He has emotions. We can grieve him. We can resist him. Do you really know him? Are you led by him? Are you manifesting the fruits of the spirit? Do we operate under the gifts of the spirit? And by the way, they're still available today. Of course, it's as the spirit wills. But it's, he's here, brothers and sisters. He's here. He's in us. He is with us. He is for us. Amen. And it goes on to say here, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And then it goes on to say, you know, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people. See, throughout redemptive history, brothers and sisters, I I don't know if it's just this modern age. I don't know what it is. We just don't think the same way. I don't know if it's just that we've gotten so desensitized to evil. I don't know what it is. But in, in former times, if a disaster hit a people, if they came under tyranny, like what's happening with you guys today, if, if, if there was death or crime, they actually had the sense to go, uh-oh, there, there's something wrong here. Somehow, um, through our life or the way we're living our life, the enemy found an opening to exploit. And you know what they would do, brothers and sisters? They would gather. You know, when I prayed yesterday at that roundabout, I said, we're going to pray before the offended power. Very interesting, brothers and sisters. Most people are very, very uh, aware not to offend people. But do you know most of the time when we're not offending people, we're actually offending God? Do you know that? What, what, What did he say of the religious leaders? You seek the praises that come from men and not the praises that come from God. He told us not to fear man, but to fear him. Yes, man can destroy this body, but they cannot destroy the soul. Fear him, right? What did the apostle Paul said? If I exist to please men, I cease to be the servant of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about going out of your way, brothers and sisters, to be a Christian jerk. That is not what I am saying here. But we exist for him. We got to have that same commitment that Christ had in the garden. Because when push comes to shove, when we're going through trials and tribulations, when we're fighting this battle, and yes, 
I recoil from suffering. I don't like suffering. I don't like getting beating up. I don't like going to jail. I don't like being away from my family. I don't like being kicked out of the church. I don't like being shunned. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't like demons jumping on me, trying to kill me. I don't like witches and warlocks with guns threatening me and my family. I don't like none of that stuff. My flesh doesn't like it. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about our Lord here. Right? And so he, he doesn't exist to please us nor to bless us. He exists so we would love, serve, and obey him. Amen? And so what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to speak about this tonight. I'm going to talk about intercession that prepares the way for revival. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, again, when you see these things now being set up and you see what it may cost your future, what is the church to do? How do we respond? And I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, it is so important that we respond correctly to the Lord. There is much at stake here. It truly, truly is, brothers and sisters. You know, I'll end with this. If you remember when Jesus, he was defining the generation that what he was in. Remember they were saying, oh, John the Baptist, he has a demon, and you're a, you're a wine-bibber, you're a glutton. Remember they accused John and they accused Jesus? And he says, wisdom is justified by its children. And this is what he said. And listen, he, he's defining the, the entire generation that he is in. And he said, basically, you know, John came and it was like like a time to mourn. And he came and it was like a time to celebrate. They didn't do either of it. In other words, God is showing up. He is moving in their midst and they're responding incorrectly to the Lord. Now they went to temple They went through all the religious exercises, but when God shows up and he's moving in their midst, they're not connecting the dots. They don't know the time nor the season that they are in, and they are missing the visitation of the Lord. And how many know God wept over that? What time is it? What's the season? What does God want to do in the midst of his people? Whatever that is, we better respond correctly. Because again, brothers and sisters, much is at stake. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, saints, again, thank you uh, for bringing me over here. I know maybe some people want to make sure I get back more quickly than I should. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, uh, I pray that these times... These meetings where we're seeking the Lord and we're weighing these issues, that God would give us a willing spirit. Remember? Remember when the work was great and they were demoralized and they they didn't think it could be done? What did God do? He sent them a willing spirit. That is the revival. That is the awakening we need. Amen. Let's pray for that right now. Gracious Lord, in Jesus' name, here we are, Lord. We present ourselves before your throne of grace, God. Father, in Jesus' name, you invite us to your throne of grace, Lord, that we might receive help and mercy in the time of need. Lord, there are needs that we don't even know of right now, Father. 
needs that are being set up, Father, by the scheming of the evil one, Father. Needs that are going to greatly impact our marriages, our families, our children, our future. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, Father God, that you will awaken us. Lord, we pray that you will not be angry with us forever, but Lord, will you not revive us? Lord, would you not come as your people repent and seek your face? Would you not come, Lord, with times of refreshing? Lord, we pray for that. Lord, we pray for fresh oil. Lord, we pray for fresh fire. Lord, to come upon us. Lord, to fill us. Lord, you said you would give us power from on high to be your witnesses. Lord, that means you're martyrs. Lord, that you would empower us with the courage we need in these days. Lord, grant it, we pray, Lord. And Lord, watch over your word to perform it in our hearts and our lives and let it spread like wildfire unto others. And it's in Jesus' name when we pray. And the saints said, amen. Amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you.